Before we dive into today's episode, I want to introduce you to The Cobble Group, which is our sponsor here at the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. You know, one of the most frustrating parts of being a commercial real estate investor can be finding and leasing your next deal. And that's exactly why you need a brokerage partner like The Cobble Group. The Cobble Group is a commercial real estate brokerage based in Tennessee, helping buyers, sellers, and landlords navigate the world of buying, selling, and leasing commercial properties. Whether you're interested in office, retail, industrial, or some specialty type of commercial, the Cobble Group has you covered. While the firm largely focuses within the state of Tennessee, they've worked on projects from new construction development in Kentucky all the way to single-tenant net lease investments in Texas and can likely help you with your next investment project. Check out their website at thecobblegroup.com. That's T-H-E-C-A-U-B-L-E group.com or reach out directly to the office by email at office at thecobblegroup.com. Now, let's get into today's show. How's it going, everybody? Tyler Cobble here, your host for the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast. And today we're going to be breaking down the five different types of commercial real estate. We'll be covering multifamily, office, industrial, retail, and hospitality, as well as the different product types within each of those categories. You know, one of my favorite parts about commercial real estate is that there's a different product type to fit every kind of investor. Maybe you prefer the flashy, sexy look that comes from high-profile retail investing, or maybe you're more of the rugged, under-the-radar kind of guy, which you'll find with industrial real estate. Like I said, either way, there's a product type out there for you. So let's jump in and talk about the five different types of commercial real estate. Up first is multifamily. Multifamily real estate is simply residential property with more than one unit. For investors that already own single-family homes or are looking to transition out of the residential world and into commercial real estate, multifamily assets are an easy first step because the tenant base is already pretty familiar. Multifamily investing is also talked about so much more than any other type of commercial real estate, probably because so many investors, again, have that single-family investing experience already, so you probably already know a bit about it. Having multiple tenants on a single property allows you to have multiple income streams, which definitely removes a bit of your downside risk from the investment. If one of your tenants moves out of your apartment complex, there's a good chance that you won't even notice a big hit to your bottom line since you have other tenants that are continuing to pay their rents. And this multi-tenancy can really apply to just about any commercial property. The multifamily asset class includes everything from duplexes, which are basically homes divided in two so that they can accommodate two separate tenants, all the way up to large-scale apartment buildings housing hundreds of tenants. So the first subtype of multifamily is your duplex, triplex, and quadplexes. So just like their name implies, duplexes, triplexes, and quadplexes are two, three, and four unit properties, respectively. While plex properties are considered multifamily assets since they have multiple units in one building, they actually provide tenants with a more residential home feel. Each of these units typically has its own entrance, and they are similar in size, so you won't usually find one unit taking up the majority of the property, but I guess that could happen. These units are pretty common in every market across the United States, and the buildings could have been either originally constructed to accommodate multiple tenants, or it's possible that they were renovated at some point. Some of the floor plans can actually get a little wonky because of that. Previous landlords just throw up walls so they can divide the space and lease to multiple tenants. According to data from the National Multifamily Housing Council, close to 20% of residential renters actually live in a plex-type property. Next, we have garden-style apartments. Garden apartments are usually three- to four-story walk-ups and will have somewhere between 50 to 200 units or more. 
These apartments are often found outside of the city core in the suburbs, where they can spread out and offer surface parking. Units in these complexes are often one, two, three-bedroom studio apartments, and they may or may not have patio space and private balconies, but those are definitely amenities that tenants love to have in this type of product. They're called garden style because there's usually a collection of these apartment buildings on a single property built in a square uh, with green space in the center. They usually also share amenities such as pools, clubhouses, playgrounds, dog parks, laundry rooms, fitness centers. Um, there's so much more as well. Then you've got mid-rise apartments. Mid-rise apartments are usually in the 4 to 11 story range and can house anywhere from 30 to 100 units or more. These projects are the opposite of garden style because they're actually found closer to the urban core where developers can justify the expenses of elevator service and garage style parking because the, the rents are just higher there. These complexes tend to be newer or recently renovated since there has been such a high demand over the last economic cycle for urban living. And because of that, they will usually offer more modern amenities like recording studios, libraries, dog washing stations. I love seeing how creative investors and developers are getting with their amenity centers. Demand for high-rise apartments can be driven by a project's walkability to local conveniences like coffee shops and nightlife. Next, we have high-rise apartments. High-rise apartments are 12 or more stories and will usually be home to well over 100 units. These apartment buildings are usually found within the core of larger markets uh, near the heart of the central business district. Much like mid-rise apartments, these projects are, are very heavily amenity-driven and often have elevator service, garage-style parking, and sometimes they'll even offer restaurants and cafes on the ground floor, sky deck pools, concierge service, and so much more. They, they get pretty creative as well. The location is a big driving factor for leasing demand and pricing for units in high-rise apartment complexes because of how convenient they are, especially as traffic continues to rise. So plexes, garden-style, mid-rises, high-rises, those are your most commonly found types of multifamily, but we also have a couple of specialty assets, student housing and senior and assisted living. Student housing, just like the name implies, are projects designed to accommodate college and university students. Imagine that. So they're located in close proximity to educational centers and could be owned by an investment group or they could be owned by the universities and the colleges themselves. Student housing is designed uh, completely opposite of how of, of your typical multifamily product with the common areas in mind first, which is intended to drive the residents out of their room to socialize with their neighbors. In normal apartment housing, it's, like I said, the opposite. Residents expect to have more privacy and a more self-contained living unit. Although now, who knows? Average apartment sizes have been trending downward for quite some time, and so you know maybe that will begin to shift. This type of multifamily, as with senior and assisted living, which we'll cover here in a minute, has a very different model than the other products in this asset class and requires specialized knowledge and experience. So that brings us to senior and assisted living. These multifamily assets are designed to provide housing for seniors, the elderly, and, and the aging population. Senior and assisted living facilities are often developed in or nearby neighborhoods that have a pre-existing senior population so that the residents don't have to move too far away and don't feel like they've been removed from their homes. These projects can offer residents a much higher level of support than the other types of multifamily, which can be on-call or in-house medical professionals and nursing staff housekeeping, laundry, meal services, and so much more. Tenants in senior and assisted living facilities may have their own home or private room, or they can save money by having roommates. These complexes can sometimes have a dedicated wing for memory care patients as well who need specialized attention. 
because of all of these services and the amenities, senior and assisted living facilities are much higher in price than the other property types. So that's it for the multifamily section. Now for office space. Similar to multifamily, one of the biggest draws for investors to office properties is the multi-tenancy. Depending on the style of the building and where it's located, the property can have one, two, dozens, and dozens of tenants. Office spaces, just like multifamily, can be further broken up and classified as Class A, B, and C assets, depending on their age, quality, location, amenities, and more. Office investing can be fairly capital-intensive compared to other types of commercial real estate, mostly due to the repetitive costs of turning over and building out space for each and every tenant. However, office buildings do have some of the highest values that you will see in commercial real estate since the properties are valued on cap rates. So our first office subtype is the Central Business District or CBD office space. The Central Business District is a city's core district for commerce. So think downtown or uptown office space. And the buildings here are designed to accommodate some of the city's largest companies, such as your Amazons, Bank of Americas, and so on. The CBD is characterized by high density development often the most density that you will find within the city. So these buildings will be mid-rises and high-rises with structured parking, elevator access, and ground floor amenities. Larger companies aim to have naming rights to these buildings when relocating their headquarters, which is why you'll see their names on top of these structures. More often than not, those companies don't actually own the building, they just own the naming rights. In most American cities, you'll find the city's financial district uh, within the CBD, but you'll also find some of the best entertainment and retail options as well. A number of professional services companies prefer to locate their businesses in the CBD because it's convenient for their workforce, uh, as well as their clients, and it's highly walkable. Next, we have commercially zoned homes. And who doesn't love a good commercially zoned home? Just like their overly creative name implies, they are formerly residential units, typically older or historic homes that have been rezoned or repurposed for commercial uses. There are actually quite a few of these in East Nashville where I am. They are often a favorite for the smaller local professional services companies like law firms, accountants, music studios, and so forth. And these are the types of businesses that pass on that corporate feel that traditional office space can sometimes bring. And they really appreciate the homeliness that commercially zoned homes bring. So these spaces will usually feature full kitchens and bathrooms, patios, fenced in backyards, sometimes even garages. And tenants can lease these on a standalone basis as well, so they won't have to deal with the constant interruptions from other tenants or deal with any co-tenants, which a lot of businesses do appreciate. Then there's medical office spaces. Medical offices are designed around the needs of medical professionals, and since they're occupied by medical tenants, can actually be very valuable and fairly stable assets. Medical tenants include businesses ranging from your local orthodontist to walk-in clinics and hospitals. Medical tenants tend to have a... They tend to spend a massive amount of money on their build-outs. We're talking upwards of $200 per square foot here because of the requirements of their industry, but they also have a very high standard of aesthetics. They often need more plumbing, larger elevators, and other specialized amenities too. So these leases tend to be in the 7 to 10 plus year range since the cost of moving and building out a new space is just so high. You also have suburban office buildings. Suburban offices are built outside of the city core, obviously in the suburbs, and are typically surface parked. 
These buildings may or may not have elevator service, completely depends on the size of the building, and they can be single story or as large as a mid-rise sometimes. A business may choose to locate in the suburbs instead of the downtown core for several reasons. Maybe it's more convenient for them and their employees or clients. They don't have to commute and fight the downtown traffic, which seems to be a growing issue everywhere. And the spaces are much more affordable than their CBD counterparts. Similar to garden-style apartments, suburban office buildings can assemble into office parks with multiple buildings laid out in a campus-like setting. And because of that, they also tend to have plenty of green space and on-site amenities. All right, that is all we have for office space. Next is a big up-and-comer, industrial. Industrial properties range pretty broadly in size and use, and these assets have exploded in popularity over the last economic cycle thanks to the rise in delivery. Industrial real estate certainly has a different feel from the other asset types and isn't as polished or sexy. When I first got into commercial real estate, I, I always thought it was funny when people said, you know, each asset class has a different vibe, but it's so true. It's like people whose dogs look like them. You'll often see investors wearing suits or slacks and a button down. Those, you know, those are the office guys, while the industrial guys are wearing jeans, boots, and flannels. Anyway, industrial can be one of the best real estate assets uh, that you could invest in, considering its flexibility and sometimes lower cost of entry. Industrial tenants have a tendency to stay in their locations for quite some time since they have very few reasons to really relocate. First up is bulk warehouse. These are the largest industrial stock and are typically in the 50,000 to a million plus square foot range. Sometimes around 5 to 10% of this space is dedicated to offices for the company with the rest made up of, of warehouse space. Bulk warehouses will have lower parking ratios than other types of industrial real estate because they have fewer employees per square foot working on site and often very little to no customer traffic. These sites are often good distribution centers for various types of products and tenants like to see strong and easy accessibility for their delivery trucks coming to and from the highway systems. This type of industrial real estate is perfect for tenants in the logistics and distribution realm that need to store and ship goods to businesses or consumers. And location is a very important factor for them because of that accessibility. This type of industrial industrial product is also found in higher concentrations near major airports, depending on the type of product they are receiving and distributing. Next up, we've got Flex Warehouse Space. Flex Space is a flexible industrial product, again, getting very creative with these names, that is designed to accommodate easily a wide range of uses. These warehouses are connected to at least some portion of office space, or may even be mostly office space, and can be small enough to fit your local mom and pop plumber, or large enough to accommodate regional food distributors, and more. Flex is used for many different purposes and is designed to be easily retrofitted to meet the needs of any potential industrial tenants, hence the, the Flex name. They will often have slightly lower ceilings than their bulk warehousing counterparts at usually around 21 feet or below. That may vary depending on where you are in the country, and they can sometimes have up to 90% or more office space. Overhead loading doors and docks aren't entirely uncommon in the flex space environment, but they're often not as ideally located or as easily accessible as you could find from a bulk warehouse. These buildings just aren't designed for that heavy load in and load out, but they're ideal for the smaller tenants that need a good office warehouse mix. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you have heavy manufacturing space. These spaces are located within the most intense industrialized areas of the city or may be found on the outskirts because of their heavy machinery, toxic chemicals, and power draw. Large car manufacturing facilities or chemical plants, among others, occupy heavy manufacturing space. These buildings are often very heavily customized to the 
specific requirements of the current tenant, which could be customized infrastructure, specific finishes, power requirements, and so forth. In fact, this type of industrial is somewhat similar to retail space in the sense that each space is very highly customized for the current user. Because of the need for customization, the buildings in heavy manufacturing tend to be built to suit properties since the cost involved in renovating and modifying existing buildings is probably too expensive. Then there are light assembly warehouses. Light assembly is pretty closely related to flex space and could even be considered a combination of flex and bulk warehousing. Light assembly spaces are typically used to assemble manufacturing materials and ship them to distribution centers, but could also be used as call and data centers. When used as a call or a data center, power redundancy and internal cooling are very important since the servers and massive amounts of cabling will drain a significant amount of energy and also create a lot of heat. Another specialty type of industrial real estate is refrigeration and cold storage. This warehousing is just what it sounds like, refrigerated warehousing for storing perishable food and products. Consumer demand for fresher food and grocery delivery has skyrocketed in the last 20 years, bringing demand for this industrial product with it. Like buildings in heavy manufacturing, these spaces are very specialized and can require a large amount of build-out, which means that these tenants will likely be staying put for the long haul. Refrigeration and cold storage warehousing is is very power intensive too, and it requires specialized concrete slabs because the low temperatures in these warehouses can actually crack the concrete. Next, there are industrial showrooms, which are a bit of a hybrid between office retail and warehousing. These buildings allow manufacturers to display their goods in a more retail-like setting, while also having a back-end office with shipping and distribution as well. When you think of a showroom, picture a car dealership. You know, they, they, they're showing, they're selling, they're operating their business all from that one single location. Showrooms will typically locate along interstates where they can tap into that high visibility and they can also have good access for potential customers. Finally, for industrial, we have indoor and outdoor storage. Storage units are, are essentially a hybrid of industrial and multifamily, which many investors find appealing because you get all the benefits of multifamily without having to deal with all the downsides of residential tenants. These units can be both outdoor and indoor, which is also called climate controlled, and can be rented by tenants to store just about anything, whether it's family heirlooms or furniture in between moves, doesn't matter. Outdoor units need space to sprawl since they're all ground level. So they're typically located further outside the city while climate controlled is often multi-story with elevator access closer to the city core. As living spaces have shrunk in size, uh, as, as I said earlier, storage unit demand has increased. So there's quite a number of these developments going on around Nashville and, and really all over the country, mostly indoor climate controlled spaces that are located within these cities that have convenient access for apartment residents. Our fourth type of commercial real estate is retail. Businesses that sell products and services directly to consumers will lease and buy this type of real estate. These buildings are located to provide the best access and highest visibility possible for consumers. While some say that retail is dead or dying, I I believe it's simply changing, it's shifting because of the rise in delivery. Again, it's kind of like industrial. Successful retail centers are beginning to offer more entertainment and experience type tenants, which just can't be replaced through online orders. Um, well, at least not yet. These buildings could be as small as a single standalone restaurant all the way up to massive regional shopping centers. First up, we have community retail centers, which are on the larger end of retail centers at between 150 to 
350,000 square feet. These shopping centers have a wider trade area since they're so large, and, and they offer a mix of full price and discount retailers. One or more big boxes, uh, such as Kroger, Target, Best Buy, will anchor the shopping center, and small specialty retailers will fill in the gaps between those larger tenants, hoping to draw in the same customers. Many of these larger shopping centers will be surrounded by out-parcel or single-tenant net retailers. So picture Starbucks, Chick-fil-A, Buffalo Wild Wings. These projects are often located out in front of these larger shopping centers with massive draws or situated at high traffic corners so that they can play off the large amount of traffic generated by those anchors and, again, provide convenience for consumers. Convenience is super important for these operators. It is everything. These out parcels can also be found out front of power centers, which are shopping centers that are heavily anchored by major regional retailers like a Walmart or a Cabela's. These shopping centers are larger than 300,000 square feet, and they're located with convenient interstate access as well. In addition to the out parcel buildings, power centers typically have multiple inline shops and essentially power centers are just larger scale community centers. There's not a whole lot of difference other than the sheer scale of their size. Power centers have definitely been impacted by the Amazon effect, which has caused owners to start rethinking their leasing strategies. And, you know, again, like people are saying that, that retail is dead, you know, it may seem tough to take a big box space and repurpose it, but these suites are actually ideal for some other tenants. If you're willing to get creative, think of churches, you know, they need the parking on Sundays, but they're a very light use. Otherwise you've got entertainment and fitness uses as well. Then there's the regional mall. Regional malls can be either indoor or outdoor and have more specialty or high-end shops alongside entertainment and restaurant spaces. These projects can range from 400,000 to over 2 million square feet and may have convenient interstate access or could just be situated within the city's urban core. Here, you'll find full-line department stores such as a Dillard's or Macy's, along with a number of smaller specialty tenants. Malls offer high-end fashion, jewelry, entertainment, restaurants, etc., in addition to other soft goods. Older malls are being repurposed or redeveloped into lifestyle centers that offer a live-work play environment, which really creates a better atmosphere for everyone involved, whether you're a resident, a business owner, or just a shopper. The most common retail buildings you see daily are strip centers or neighborhood shopping centers. These are smaller retail properties that might have an anchor tenant, but probably don't because they're just not large enough. And neighborhood retail has actually performed very well over the last economic cycle. I'm fairly bullish on neighborhood retail because these tenants provide local residents with their daily conveniences. So think of groceries, pharmaceuticals, restaurants, entertainment. Um, they can also contain a mix of national, regional, and small shops retail uh, as well. So you could have these larger national groups or these small local groups occupying this neighborhood retail space. Our final category of commercial real estate is hospitality, which provides housing for the business and leisure travelers. Although entertainment like theme parks uh, can be included in this category, these projects are usually hotels or extended stay residences. Hospitality ranges from your typical drop-in motel to these massive private resorts that you fly out of the country to. Uh, first up, we have budget hotels, which are usually found right off of the interstate exits. You drive past these probably almost every day on your commute. The location is convenient for drivers that just need a cheap place to stay for the night. They're, you know, since they're marketed to the economic traveler, the rooms and the furnishings tend to be of lower quality and, and the property likely has few, if any, amenities. Then you have extended stay hotels, which will have larger rooms with small kitchens so that they can serve travelers who plan on staying typically for a week or longer. 
they might also have a few amenities like a gym or pool, but typically nothing over the top. Next up, we have full service hotels, which are often located within the city's core or areas that are highly trafficked by tourists. And these can offer many amenities such as room service, fitness centers, and more. High-end resorts are also included in this type, which could have larger-scale entertainment on site, such as casinos, concert venues, and more. Think of Las Vegas here. On the opposite end of the spectrum are limited-service hotels, which are very similar to full-service hotels, except they don't provide all of the amenities found in the full-service projects. So the, the lack of amenities and services allows limited-service hotels to be an ideal choice for business travelers. You know, they're not going to be staying in their rooms too often. They'll be out pretty much the whole day. They don't need the amenities. So the rooms will be of higher quality than budget hotels, but you know, with little to no extras, which helps keep that cost down. And the final piece of hospitality is short-term rentals. These spaces are typically rented directly from the property owner through an online platform such as Airbnb or VRBO. And they can be residential units that operate similarly to boutique hotels, and they give travelers a more local taste of the city. Travelers can book a private room above someone's garage, or they can get themselves an entire mansion, which is the beauty of these platforms. So that's it for our breakdown of the five different types of commercial real estate. If you'd like to take a deeper dive into the world of commercial real estate investing, you can find many different resources on my website, tylercobble.com, which will be in the show notes, along with links to my YouTube channel and Instagram account. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss our weekly episodes on investment strategy, leasing and management tips, market updates and more. And that is it for this episode. I will see you next week.